Welcome to Lockbox, a podcast providing real estate professionals with action items for success. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm going to be your host. I'm the founder of two real estate marketing and tech companies, Steezy.Digital and RealNurture.io. In this podcast, you'll learn from top 1% real estate and mortgage brokers the exact secrets to their success. Welcome to Lockbox. Welcome to Lockbox. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm here today with Bob Knackle. Bob, thank you so much for being with us. Hey, Jeff. Great to be with you today. Yeah, appreciate it. So why don't you start off by telling our listeners who you are and where you're from? Um, Bob Knackle. I am the chairman of New York Investment Sales at JLL and have been a broker in New York City selling properties for the past 38 years. Wow. Impressive. We will dive into what you're doing today and obviously tell some of the story of, of what happened between day one of real estate and the 38 years that's gone by since. But I'm really curious about day one. You know, what got you into real estate in the beginning? Well, Jeff, I got into real estate completely by mistake. I'll <laughs> take you back to 1981. I'm a freshman at the Wharton School. I want to be the next Gordon Gecko like every other Wharton kid. And so spring break, my, uh, my freshman year, I drive around northern New Jersey, which is where I grew up, dropping my resume off at every commercial bank and investment bank I saw. Came out of a Payne Weber office across the hall. I saw a Coldwell banker, thought the place was a bank, went in, dropped my resume off. Um, they called me later that day to set up an interview for the following day. And again, this is 1981, so there's no internet. So I go to the library that morning I look up this bank and I see it's a real estate company, almost don't go on the job. As it turned out, they were the only ones hiring college kids for the summer, took the job, loved it, went back my next two summers, and then started with CB in Manhattan when I got out of school in, uh, in 1984. So it was kind of a uh, serendipitous path. I can't believe that uh, I kind of got into real estate that way because, you know, as you know, real estate can be a second, third, or fourth career for people. But I got into it very early. I've loved it from day one, and I still love it as much today as I did the day I started. Wow. You hear the story of, you know, like my parents or, you know, that generation who would work with a company for 40 years, retire with a pension. You don't hear about many people working in real estate for 40 years, right? From, from day one all the way through. And that's awesome. I mean, clearly you love it and you've done well over those, over the, over those years. So I'm curious, what's the single most important action that you've taken on a daily basis that has attributed most to your success? Well, I think the um, there there are several. If I had to point to one, it is prospecting. I prospect every single day. Um, you know, in the commercial investment sales business, I think uh, it's important to have presence in the marketplace. Important to know your market, have passion, have discipline. So many different things go into it. But the, if you think of the transaction process as a pipeline, it's important to keep putting stuff in the in the front of that pipeline. And yep. the way you get that stuff is by making calls. So my my number one goal for many, many years uh, was to speak to 50 property owners a week and get around to asking them if there was anything they wanted to sell. During the pandemic and the work from home period we went through, actually, I was much more productive. I, I got the call volume up to 100 connections a week. Uh, and I'm maintaining that pace now. And uh, but that I think is the number one thing for success is to make sure you're originating business. And the best way to originate business is by being on the phone a lot. Makes sense. 
And, you know, that's that tried and true method that you just cannot replace, especially in commercial real estate, which is the phone call. You know, coming from the digital marketing world, I feel like I have a unique take on this because we have innovated on the residential side to the point where we can do online lead generation at the level where the agent doesn't even talk to the lead until they have been through a form online, reached out to by some unlicensed assistant who has pre-qualified them, and then handed it off to the agent only when they have gone through those first two steps and been qualified. That does not happen in the commercial space. <laughs> we, no, I think, uh... you know, with the, all, all respect to the, the residential world, I think the residential world and the commercial world operate very, very differently. Um, they do. And uh, it's a, you know, everyone is a potential customer in the residential world, um, whether you're renting apartments or selling homes. Uh, in the commercial world, I think, you know, we use several different methods to try to develop relationships with people. And it's nearly impossible. I, I don't, I, you know, in, in New York City, I've sold as of last week, 2,167 buildings. Uh, it's almost $20 billion worth of real estate. I can't remember a time where in the very first conversation I had with somebody, they said, hey, Bob, yeah, I want to sell my building. Come on over and talk to me. Right. Uh, it usually takes a lot of work to develop and foster that relationship through phone calls, hard mail, email, texts, meeting them in person, lunches, dinners, drinks. It's uh, the, the relationship building process is one that that takes quite a bit of time. And I think you have to use all of those different methods uh, to try to uh, strengthen the relationships that you have with folks. Such a good point. And, you know, coming from the marketing side of things, we got some commercial clients after having success on the residential side, and we tried some of the same tactics that did not work well. However, we did discover that the you can't replace the phone call. And basically, if we can help through outbound dialing, offset the amount of dials that the agent needed to make, because not everyone loves it as much as you, Bob, right? <laughs> Many have call reluctance, but if we could help them with that piece, then we could help to still generate them opportunities and do it as a service for them. So it right, was well, an interesting with, discovery. Yeah, Jeff, with regard to call reluctance, I think it's important to keep things in perspective. And, you know, to a large extent, the real estate business is a probability and a percentage-based business. And like I know in, in New York City, over the past 38 years, the average turnover rate of the stock of investment properties has been about 2.6%. About half the stuff that goes on the market actually trades. So at any one time, maybe 5% of the stock is available. So that means if you're making cold calls, one out of 20 is likely to be a yes. And so we, we always used to tell our agents, you know, if you get hung up on 19 times in a row, don't feel bad, feel great because you're that much closer to getting a yes on the next one. So I think it's just important to kind of keep it in mind what the probability of success is and to just have the discipline to keep forging ahead uh, and making those calls when you might not feel like it. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And that really helped me in my direct selling experience. I was at Cutco right out of high school. I actually almost took your path and got my real estate license right out of high school, but I chose to do Cutco instead. And they had great sales training and that was the concept. It's like, okay, it was 10 to one, a call to set ratio in, in that regard. 
And so they would just say, hey, if you just got nine no's, get excited. You're about to get a yes. And that sales trainer mentality. And I, I graduated from being a rep into a sales manager. And then I was, I was saying that to people because I'd experienced it. And so it really is that, you know, that ratio and probability game. And I guess if you don't like being on the phone, then you might not choose real estate as your, your vocation. Because right? <laughs> you'll be on the phone a lot. So, you know, where do you think the industry is heading? And uh, what are you doing right now to set yourself up for future success? No, in terms of where the interesting where the industry is heading, I think it's interesting that you know over time a lot of people have been talking for a while about how technology is going to either replace or marginalize uh, the brokerage function. Uh, I remember back in the early two thousands, there were twenty three online broker company brokerage companies that were supposed to completely disrupt commercial brokerage. All twenty three of those went belly up. Um, you know, but I think that today there is a notice that technology is going to change the way business is done. And I think if you look at the brokerage business, there are two main functions. One is the, the identification of a buyer. And I, I look at it from, again, the investment sales perspective, and I have only done seller representation my entire career. I've never represented a buyer. I've only done seller rep. So from my perspective, is the, the, the two main components of the job is finding the buyer, number one, and then negotiating the transaction, number two. I think there's a very good likelihood that technology is going to um, replace to a large degree the finding of the buyer component of that uh, equation. I think as soon as the industry and the marketplace generally knows that go to xyz.com and you'll see every property for sale. I think that there will be an online marketplace for the identification of opportunities. However, because buildings are not widgets and every building is very different, two buildings that look identical uh, from the outside could be extremely different on the inside. They could have different lease clauses. They could have different regulations. Uh, there are so many things that differentiate one building from the next that I don't believe that uh, you can do an entire transaction online over the course of time on a broad basis. So I think that if technology is going to displace and disrupt the industry, I think the way that will happen is through turning the business into more of a consulting business than a brokerage business. And Jeff, what I mean by that is that rather than a client coming to me today and saying, hey, Bob, I want you to sell my $50 million building. I'm going to hire you, go out and do your thing. And you go out, you send out thousands of flyers, you show the building to hundreds of people, you get dozens of bids and you, you go through that process and, and negotiate the sale. I think it's more likely the client may come to me or any broker and say, hey, you know what? Here are the top three bidders on my property. Go ahead and finish up the transaction for me. And rather than paying you, you know, a one or a 2% commission on that $50 million sale, I'll pay you, you know, a $100,000 consulting fee. And I, I, so I think there will be uh, if and when, and I still think it's an if, but if and when technology takes hold of the market in that way, I think the business will be transitioned into more of a consulting type of business than a, a traditional brokerage business. 
Well, it's an interesting foreshadow to what might happen and something that you glossed over, which I don't know if my listeners caught, but in your 38-year career, you've never represented a buyer. (laughs) That's correct. That's correct. Well, okay. Let's just stop there for a second. (laughs) But to be totally honest with you, it is 2,167 as of last week. I represented buyers twice. Um, (laughs) two, two, Two buyers that came to me and basically said, Bob, I have to buy a building within this very small box. I'll pay whatever I have to pay to find it for me. And they're on a 1031 or something. And that they were both relatively easy transactions. The buyer in each case way overpaid. Uh, but it's literally been two out of twenty one sixty seven. Right. Okay. So the hottest topic on both residential and commercial right now is how do I find listings? How do I represent sellers? And here you are over there in New York for 38 years through multiple recession cycles and, and real estate booms and bursts, only representing sellers. <laughs> I well, love it. it. Was the, I, Jeff, it was a conscious decision at the beginning. Um, okay. we, we thought my, my partner, Paul Massey, and I, you know, literally, and to go back, you know, day one, I show up at, at CB in mid-July of 1984, show up at the office. There's about 60 people leasing office space, 20 people renting stores, and there were four people in the building sales department. Paul Massey had just gotten through a training program. I show up day one, the boss says, hey, Massey just got into sales. Follow him around. He'll show you where the coffee machine is. And that was basically the training program. And uh and day two, we decided to work together, split everything 50-50. Turns out four years later, Paul and I started our own business, uh, grew that business from the two of us to 250 people, ran that business for 26 years, sold it to Cushman and Wakefield in 2014. But we decided that the only way we as young folks in the business were going to get traction is that we had to be highly specialized. And I think that's an important lesson for people also is that to mm-hmm. be specialized allows you to differentiate yourself from everyone else. And that differentiation creates a competitive advantage for you. So uh, we decided we were going to work in a very small territory, we called it, and get to know every single owner, know every building, know every sale, be able to talk about the building. And the most frequently asked question you get is, how's the market? Answer that question with with, with statistics rather than adjectives. And we were only going to work on doing seller representation and only working on exclusive listings. So in every one of those those sales that I've done, I've also been the exclusive agent for the seller. So it was just a matter of deciding that's the only way we were going to work. And if someone made a commitment to us and would hire us, we'd make a tremendous commitment back to them. Uh, And if they wouldn't give us an exclusive, their building was dead to us. Um, right. And I think the, the reason we decided to do that is that buyer representation, we think, is a very low probability business. I mean, let's face the fact, most sellers, and I'm sure this is the case nationwide, but I know in New York, most sellers believe their property is worth 20 or 25% more than it really is. So by the time you go through the whole marketing process, establish value, get a lot of bids, when price discovery has happened, there's usually three or four buyers that would pay that price. So if you're a a buyer rep broker, maybe you have a 25% or a 33% chance of making the deal, even if you have a buyer who'll pay the highest price. 
so we thought it was low probability business and just decided we were going to represent sellers. And um, again, different approaches work well for different people. I know plenty of brokers that work on open listings and do well and do buyer rep and do well. But uh, we thought the, the probability of success was greater if we represented sellers as opposed to buyers. And um, that just, it, for, for us, it, it, it worked. Makes total sense. And that's a more common topic nowadays. You found that early, but it's a more common topic that the agent with listings has much more leverage over their time and much more security in their business as opposed to the agent who's focusing on buyers, driving buyers around, putting in offers that might fall through or competing with, with other offers, right? And so it, it's been more clearly defined in books and trainings in the, in the last decade or so, in, in my opinion, that, okay, you want to be on the listing side, right? And so that hence the, hence the popularity with the agent wanting to find these listings. And I love what you said about niching down and defining your territory because you set some rules, which is great. We want to do non-exclusive listings only, represent sellers in this area. And because then you have gone from being a generalist and doing all these different things for all these different people, which means you're doing nothing for anyone. Now, instead, you have defined this subset of the one side of the transaction, one area, and it's a manageable amount of properties to where you can actually now go get to know every single property owner. Yeah, it worked so well for us. And it really helped us, particularly at the beginning of our career, getting traction because Clearly, we were competing with people that had been in the business for many, many years, and maybe they sold 100 buildings, but they sold some buildings in downtown, uptown, crosstown, out in the outer boroughs. We worked in one small little neighborhood, and so maybe we had only sold three buildings, but we'd go into a potential seller and say, look, yeah, we only sold three buildings so far in our career, but we sold the one down the block, the one across the street, and the one right next door to you. We know this market better than anybody. That really gained tremendous tra- traction with our clients. And I think it really, it, uh, it accelerated our, our traction with clients and really helped us build a, a nice business very, very quickly. Wow. I love that. And now that there is technology like LoopNet and CoStar and, you know, the, the places to syndicate listings and, you know, get the information out there. How are you leveraging the digital marketing to get exposure to these listings? Well, we use all of the, the publicly available sites that you can post listings on. Clearly, you need to do that. At JLL, we have a, a huge international network. We have offices in 80 countries. So we're routinely speaking with our colleagues around the country. But the most important thing to do is to keep track of the folks in the local market that are buying, that are bidding, and that have expressed interest in buying in the marketplace. And every time we close a transaction, you know, whether there's 10 bids or 30 bids or 50 bids, uh, we're constantly reviewing those bid lists. And when we go in to pitch a new client, we're taking all the bidders that have been active in the past six months on properties just like theirs. And that's the most powerful thing you can go in to a a presentation with. Say, not only do I know who the buyers are, here have been the top bidders or the underbidders on the last several deals just like yours that sold. That is the best outreach that you possibly could make 
is to those folks that that have been active on that particular type of property in that particular neighborhood. Yes. Wow. Definitely a a great insight. And that's what my commercial broker mentor told me. I asked him, what's the price per door that I should be around in this area and this and that? And he said, you're asking the wrong questions. All you have to do is go look at the past two years of transactions in that area, see who bought it, right? And and start to look at the trend of the the, the quality that, that it might've been in. And then now you can also go on LoopNet, you can download OMs and you can see what other brokers are pulling as comps for these properties and all the information's out there. Just go plug into the, to the market, right? Be a part of the market. And I, I thought that was just such a simple answer that I was like, oh, obviously. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, you know, people talk about rooftop marketing and how, how much you can leverage your time uh, and leverage transactions you're making by doing rooftop marketing, which is, you know, if you sell a certain type of building in a certain area, look around for similar buildings and use that sale to try to, to catalyze another listing by telling the owner what you did for the, the similar property type owner uh, on the sale that you made. Um, right. But if you, if you specialize in one thing and specialize in, in one area on top of it, then every single transaction you're doing is rooftop marketing. So it, it's almost, uh, it should never be a unique thing to do rooftop marketing. It should be part of every single transaction you do. And if you, if you are specialized in one area, then every single transaction you do has meaning and has benefit and is accretive towards helping you get the next deal. If, you, if you're selling a, an office building one day and a retail property the next day and an apartment building the next day or in, in different marketplaces, that sale is not going to help you get the next one if the next sale is a development site. The owner doesn't care that you sold an office building or a retail property if they want to sell a development site. But if all you do is sell development sites or all you do is sell student housing, then every single thing you do all day long is helping you build a track record to to help you get the next transaction. So it's a great way to leverage your time. Makes total sense. And once again, that value of niching down, right? So I'm curious what you do for your clients that nobody else in the industry does that you know of. Is there any well, secret sauce well, there that you want to share? You know, there are a lot of, a lot of great people out there with a lot of great techniques. I'll, I'll say, you know, one thing that, that I try to do is to make sure that my research and understanding of the market is as good as it possibly can be. Uh, for instance, a big part of my practice is to sell development sites in New York City. So during the pandemic, when the city was literally a ghost town, I took that opportunity to uh, drive and walk every single block of Manhattan south of 96th Street. I had wanted to do that for about 10 years, never had the time to do it. Business was a little slow during the, the early months of the pandemic. The streets were empty. And I took maps out into the street and I color coded them with highlighters. And I, it took me about 220 hours total to do this, but that would have taken me 1200 hours if it was normal traffic. And so taking that and then distilling down, I looked at every building under construction, came up with a 
a pipeline of, of hotels, office buildings, residential rentals, residential condos that were under construction. Uh, that pipeline helps you when you're figuring out the value of a development site because you have to look at exist existing stock, the pipeline of stock to come to make valid projections about what's going to happen with prices and trends. And so I think clients rely on you as, a, as an intermediary. You don't just want to be a broker slapping a deal together. You want to be a trusted advisor. And sometimes that means telling a client not to sell today. Uh, sometimes it's it's having them take a different approach. They think they might want to sell, but maybe uh, for a development site, for instance, maybe they should do a ground lease instead of selling. And so I think having the statistical backup behind you that can put you in the best position to give your client the most, most ammunition uh, and the most perspective that they can have when making a decision about what to do, I think that's the best thing you can do for your clients. So that's that's what I try to do is always make sure I'm on top of, of trends, statistics, understand what's happening in the market so that I can provide my client with the benefit of, of understanding what's happening. Great point. And earlier in the podcast, you mentioned giving your client statistics rather than adjectives when they ask, how's the market? Yeah. Yeah, a, Jeff, I think point. ask a... Uh, Ask a room full of people how their market is. 99% of them will answer with adjectives. And, you know, if you say, well, my, the market's hot, the market's cold, it's challenging. Hey, we're really busy. Well, of course you're busy. You're in the real estate business. You can never run out of things to do. And the, the more you do and the harder you work, the more stuff you have to do. <laughs> so it's a, it's a positive feedback loop. But uh, to, you know, Busy or saying the market's really hot means different things to different people. But if you say, hey, last year sales volume was 10.3 billion and this year it's 17.8 billion, they can use their own uh, judgment to determine whether that's really great or it's okay or, you know, whatever. But, um, and it also shows that you really understand the market. Makes total sense. And you come across as an authority and then they come to you for answers and now you're listing their property. Love that's that. The, that's the hope. So what are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life or career? Oh, gosh, there are so many, so many <laughs> great books. And I, I am a, a voracious reader, which my mentor, Steve Siegel, who is the uh, chairman of Global Brokerage at, uh, at CBRE, told me, he said, uh, Bob, read as much as you possibly can. Good to Great by Jim Collins is a great mm. book. Never Read Alone by Keith Ferrazzi. The Power of a Positive No by Harvard professor Bill Urey uh, is a great book on persuasion. Probably the guy who is the number one expert on persuasion in the United States is Dr. Cialdini, Bob, Bob Cialdini at the University of Arizona. Uh, he's written a couple of great books on persuasion. Uh, the Power of Woo by uh, Wharton professor uh, Richard Schell. Uh, there's just so many great books out there. And then, of course, the the old standbys of uh, the Harvey McKay books, Swim with the Sharks and things like that. I, I think there are so many great books on selling and psychology and understanding why people do the things they do are great tools for, for salespeople. Because if you think about it, what it, what is our, our function, right? Our function is to get that little switch inside a client's head to go to either yes or no, depending on what we would like them to do. And so there are so many things relative to inclinations people have, 
uh, biases they have, and trying to understand the best way to get folks to do what you'd like them to do. And so uh, I find these books very fascinating on selling and psychology and persuasion and things like that, but ton of great ones out there. As do I. Yes. Very fascinating. Just little differences in language and how you speak, the amount that you're listening, the questions you're asking can make a tremendous difference in the amount of income you're making if you're in a sales role. So really appreciate you mentioning that. So do you have some real estate investments of your own? I don't. I don't. I've, uh, I've always thought that it was a conflict of interest to be investing in real estate as a broker. And many brokers do it. Many brokers do it very, very successfully. And the, the interesting thing is as a, a seller's rep, you know, I, I never would have bought one of the properties that I've sold. Uh, in retrospect, I wish I bought every single one of them. <laughs> but but I at the time, you, you know, you look at most of these transactions, if you get 30 offers on a property, uh, 24 of them are in the meaty part of the bell curve. And then there's a couple of low ones and there's a few that are higher. And then those people end up getting into a competitive bidding situation. And by the time you make that sale, the price is so much higher than most people think it's worth that it doesn't seem very compelling. Right. Um, and, you know, during the, the years when we were running Massinaco, we were spending 100% of our time uh, trying to make that business work and and trying to make it grow. And so we, you know, I think investing in real estate is a full-time job if you want to do it right. And so we just never, uh, never took the plunge to buy property. Thought it was a conflict of interest. And also if clients know that you, you buy property also, the first question they're going to ask you when you call them and say, Hey, I have this great building for you. They're going to say, Hey, if it's so great, why didn't you buy it? So <laughs> I, I think it's, um, it's uh, better to kind of stay out of that conflict position. Sure. Makes sense. So is there a question that I should have asked you or anything that you'd like to expand upon from earlier? Um, no, I just, I think that, you know, there are so many things that, that seem to be consistent through people who are at the top of our industry. Passion is, is definitely one of those things. Uh, and I, I often tell young people uh, that, you know, expose yourself to a lot of different facets of real estate if you're interested in real estate and see what aspect of it really resonates with you. Uh, because you have to have passion for the business. I, I've always said that, you know, in commercial real estate, you only have to work half a day to be successful. And I don't care whether it's the first 12 hours of the day or the second 12 hours of the day, but you have to work 12 hours a day. And invariably, you're going to come up, come against some very, very tough and challenging times. And if you don't have the passion for the business, you're not going to have the intestinal fortitude to keep at it um, during those tough times. So passion, number one. Secondly, uh, discipline. To be dis disciplined and intentional about what you are, who you are, the way you do things, and to have that discipline to sit there and make those calls when you don't want to make them, when you just got hung up on three times in a row. Uh, you have to have the discipline to do it. You have to have the discipline to take a step back and spend some time working on your business as opposed to in your business. I've worked with uh, the best brokerage coach in the country, Rod Santomassimo, for about 10 years now. And Rod always tells me, you have to work on your business. And that's why I have the broker coach, because 
uh, we can get so wrapped up in working in our businesses that we forget about working on our businesses. And so it's important to take a step back and, and work on your business and plan. And that takes discipline. So passion and discipline are, are two things that I think really separate the folks in our business that can, can do really great from the folks who are uh, kind of in the middle of the back. Makes sense. Great advice. And really appreciate you sharing everything that you shared today. So, uh, you know, how can listeners contact you? Sure. Well, you can get me uh, anytime on my cell at 917-509-9501, or you can email me at bob.nackle, K-N-A-K-A-L, at A-M, that's short for America, am.jll.com. So bob.nackle at am.jll.com. I have uh, an extensive reading list. If you'd like the reading list, which I highly encourage you to read, uh, email me and I'd be happy to send you that reading list. Uh, and if you know anybody that wants to sell a building in New York City, reach out to me. I'd be happy to work with you. We, we pay referral fees to, uh, to other brokers or, or folks who have a license uh, in New York. And, um, you know, always happy to, uh, to meet folks and uh, see how we might be able to do business together. Excellent. Bob Knackle, everyone, listing specialist in the commercial real estate space in New York. Really appreciate all of the things that you shared. And I know that a lot of my listeners were mind blown when I confirmed you've had over 2,000 sales in your career and only two buyers. So yeah, I love the niche focus, love the discipline, the commitment, and really just taking a stance that this is my identity in the real estate space. This is who I am and what I do. Because that's definitive branding. And now people know, if I have a building to sell in New York, I'm going to call Bob. Thank you so much for being on. You got it, Jeff. It's been a pleasure to be with you. And I I wish everybody out there uh, tremendous success and a lot of luck. And remember, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Luck is an important part of the, the formula, but you have to work hard to get that luck and go get them. Love it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you want to accomplish your real estate goals, then I highly suggest downloading my free Ultimate Real Estate Goal Setting Framework. The link is in the description of the show and it will help you break down your annual income goal into the amount of phone calls, appointments, or open houses you need in order to achieve that goal. Thank you so much and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.